Hello, this is Donnie Foster, the pastor of the Journey Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My prayer is the message you are about to hear will be a source of blessing and encouragement in your life. At the conclusion, I'll share a few closing words and a prayer. May the Lord bless you as you listen. All right, if you got your Bibles, join me in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings 19. I am excited about camp, I'm excited about Father's Day, one of my favorite days of the year because um, I get to think about all the great influences in my life, all the great father figures, I get to think about um, my dad and how special he was to me, I get to think about my kids, and, and it's just an, an incredible day. So, so glad you are here today. And here's what I want to talk to you about today. I felt like it was appropriate to talk to all of our men today. So this will be a message really centered towards all of our men and our dads. But I want to promise you ladies that this message certainly will be one that you can glean from as well. And if I was titling this message, it would just simply be true godly manliness. What does it mean to have true godly manliness? What, what does that really mean in our world today? So the big question is this. How do you define a real man? What is a real man? Or what does an authentic, manly man look like? Or who is the perfect example of a man in our world today? Or just make it personal, how can I, how can I be the man God wants me to be in 2022? And to do that, we're going to look at who I think is one of the most manliest men in all of the Bible. His name is Elijah. Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. And he is just one of those guys that almost just kind of seems like a superhero. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. Elijah starts off his career confronting wicked kings and queens, stepping up and calling them out for their sin. He also kind of played his own version of survivor and alone mixed together by living by himself in the desert for a while. And then there was a young boy who died who was the son of a widow he was staying with, and he prayed that God would raise this young boy from the dead, and God responded. Pretty cool. He also challenged hundreds of false prophets to a showdown on top of a mountain. During said challenge, he called down fire from heaven, and then after said challenge, he killed all the false prophets with a sword. And just to top it off after that, he outran a chariot down a mountain and back into the city. He just kind of seems like, uh, instead of a Bible character, somebody we might see on the next episode of Kenobi, right? You know, he just kind of seems like a Jedi. He's just this superhero. That's Elijah. He was a man of prayer, unafraid of confronting sin, had incredible faith. Apparently, he was really good with a sword and also really fast. He outran a chariot. So I think we can all agree this morning that Elijah was one of the most manliest men to ever walk the planet. Even on top of Mount Carmel today, where he called down fire, where this picture is depicted, there is this statue of Elijah with this big beard, and it's just kind of menacing when you look at it. And I'm just like, man, that's, that's Elijah right there. He's just this almost mythical creature, but he was real. And if we were to stop right here this morning and just say, all right, go be like Elijah, I think most of us, self-included, would have to walk out of here feeling like a pretty big failure, right? Amen, right? I don't think any of us is living up to Elijah today. I'm not. I'm not living up to Elijah today. It, it, it's just too much. 
I would feel like a miserable failure if I was trying to live up to that Elijah. But the truth is, the full biography of Elijah hasn't been shared yet this morning. See, there's another side of Elijah. There is this side where he seems like this mythical creature, this Jedi, this superhero. But I want you to know that Elijah was also a normal man like the rest of us. Join me in 1 Kings chapter 19, okay? And it says this about Elijah. This is right after this big showdown on Mount Carmel where he calls down fire and he, he kills all these false prophets and he calls out the wicked king and queen. He outruns this chariot and when he gets down from the mountain, it says Ahab, this is the king, told Jezebel, the queen, all that Elijah had done. See, old Jezebel, she wasn't there when all this took place, but she heard about it and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm going to get you. I'm going to take care of you. Now think about it. Elijah's just called her out, called out her husband, called down fire from heaven, killed all the false prophets with a sword, outrun a chariot. You'd think at this point in time he wouldn't be scared of anything. But he gets word that Jezebel's after him. And what happens, verse 3, it says, Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's Elijah, this, this superhero, if you will. But when he gets word that the wicked queen has come after him, now he begins to, bring, he begins to become fearful. It, it brings him fear. I find that very interesting. I think about Elijah, I'm thinking, man, it's just, it's just one queen. He's already taken care of all these false prophets. And, and when he prayed, God sent down fire from heaven. It just seems like he'd be like, you know what, I'm not scared of you. But he was. He was afraid. Look at verse 4. It says, so here's what he did. He himself went a, dirt, a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked God that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, just take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. Wow, what a statement. Here he is just one day after this huge mountaintop experience, literally. And now he sits down under a broom tree and just says, you know what, God? That's enough. I I'm just ready to die. Just take away my life. I'm no better than my fathers. Usually when the Israelites mentioned their fathers, plural, they were talking about their ancestors from the past. And he could have been saying, you know what, I'm no better than the fathers, my ancestors who made a lot of mistakes. And in the ancestral line of Elijah going backwards, there were a lot of people who made mistakes in, in, in his past, going back several generations. But at the same time, there are many who did great things, just like all of our paths. We can find people that are our ancestors who made some mistakes and some who did some great things. Same with Elijah. So is he saying, you know what, I'm no better than those that made mistakes, or I can't even live up to those who did great things. Either way, what we learn here is that he was just struggling with success in his life. He felt like a failure. Let's read on in verse 5. It says, and he laid down under, laid down and slept under a broom tree. Now get this, while he's sleeping, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him 
and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So God sends an angel to bring him a cake. By the way, that's where we get angel food cake. That's a dad joke right there, all right? Hang on, I got some more, all right? Y'all just hang in there. They're going to be coming all day. I, I asked on Facebook this past week, you know, what do you think about dad jokes? I wanted some, some feedback. I said, are, are they really the greatest jokes ever? Or are they the lamest jokes ever? Or do we groan at them because we just don't want to admit that dad might be funny, you know? <laughs> Most people were like, no, they're pretty good. We just don't want to meet, admit dad might be a little bit funny. Some people were like, no, they're just lame. But however you feel about it, you know, that's, my, that's one of my dad jokes for the day. But yes, this angel comes along, gives him some food. And it has to be pretty awesome food because an angel gives it to him. He eats it, he drinks it, he goes to sleep, he wakes up, there's more food, more drink, and it says it gives him strength for 40 days. That's pretty cool, but look at verse 9. And it says, what, how did he respond to that? Well, instead of getting up and going back, it says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here? So instead of going back to what he was called to do, he just runs farther and farther away. And finally, God says, after he fed him and he retreats to a cave, God just calls him out. says, listen, Elijah, what's going on? What are you doing here? What, what is your problem? And then look down at verse 14, okay? Verse 14, this conversation continues on between God and Elijah. In verse 14, it says, he said to God, I have been very jealous for the Lord. I like that. You know what? I think more of us need to be jealous for the Lord. Let me explain that. I think when we see people who don't honor God, who ought to honor God, we should be jealous for God. When we see people who uh, dishonor God, who mock God as followers of God, I think we should be a little jealous for God. I want other people to worship God, not because it makes me feel good, because I believe our God deserves it. Amen, right? We need to be jealous for our God. And this is Elijah. I mean, he was jealous for God. And I think he really means that. He says, Lord, I, I've been jealous for you, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel has forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And then here's where he gets a little bit, you know, self-pity. He says, and I, even I only am left. I'm the only one left that cares about you, God. And they seek my life to take it away. He says, I've been very jealous for you, God. But you know what? I'm the only one left that cares about you. <laughs> all right. So listen, Elijah is an awesome example of a man. I think we can all agree with that. But Elijah also noticed the things that he struggled with. He struggled with the fact that he experienced fear. You know what? You know, even true men, even manly men, even godly men, even the best men among us struggle with fear. We all experience fear. And listen, despite the images of John Wayne and Harry Callahan and Captain America, you know what? Real men are often afraid. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, you know. We tend to think about these guys being the ultimate examples of men, right? Are you with me? How many of you guys love John Wayne? Let me see your hand. All right. Well, I, I, I passed you down to Madisonville, Texas for a while. We've got some Madisonvilleites with us here today. They're going to camp with us. We're excited to have them. I live down in Madisonville. If you went into someone's house 
and they did not have an oil painting of John Wayne over the fireplace, I just questioned what was going on, because almost everybody did. I'll never forget the first house I went into, there was like little small pictures of the family, there's John Wayne, all right? And I'm like, wow, okay, we love us some John Wayne down here, you know? He just kind of is this persona of the manly man, that rugged man. Then you've got Clint Eastwood, you know, his dirty hair. He's the guy that wears the suit, you know, go ahead, punk, make my day. And then the more modern-day version of that is Captain America. Listen to me. Despite the images of these guys, real men often are afraid and experience fear. It's just a part of life. It's true. Not only that, but Elijah also felt like a failure. You know, even real men, even true men feel like failures sometimes and we can read all the inspirational quotes in the world to pump us up when we're down the truth is real men often feel as though they have left let everybody down I know what this is like not only as a pastor and a father and a husband but especially as a little league baseball coach I'm so glad to have my uh, my assistant coach from this past two years is here today, and his son's going to camp with us. Uh, Russ Prater, he's here, and we've become great friends over the last couple of years. Last year, man, we got the first place trophy, you know, and we got to coach the All-Stars, and we, everybody was like, man, y'all are such great coaches, you know, did such a great, go- did such a great job, you know. This year, guess what? Uh, we won one game. They didn't even give us a trophy this year, all right? And it's just like, oh, man, you know, you, you can kind of ride that wave of Little League coaching highness and lowness sometimes. It happens that way, but the truth is you have to come to grips with the fact that there are other ways to be successful in life than just, you know, getting the trophy. There, there's a lot more to it, and you learn that. But uh, all, all kidding aside, listen to me, at times we do feel like failure. It's something that's a part of every man's life. And and I think every adult's life. We've all been there. Elijah also experienced it. Just a few days after this mountaintop experience, here he is feeling like a failure, just saying, God, just take my life. I can't even live up to those who've come before me. But you know what else Elijah did? Elijah decided to flee. Decided to run. And even real men sometimes feel like they need to flee, like they need to get away, like they need to run. Being a man doesn't mean we always know what to do next. Sometimes it means that we have no idea what to do next. Real men often have the desire to feel uh, to flee because they feel lost and confused. You can't tell me how many times as a pastor that someone's come into my office and just unloaded on me all the cares and troubles and worries of life and they just kind of looked at me like fix me pastor (laughs) and I'm like I have no idea what to do and I just wanted to get up and just slip out of the room excuse me I'll be right back and just get in my car and leave you know because I didn't know what to do I didn't know what to say I'm serious I've told this story before my kids have heard it many times but uh, the first time after I was a pastor in 2000 I'm down in Madisonville Texas and someone comes to my office and just boom just lays it all on the desk and I literally thought to myself if I just get up go get in my car and leave and just pretend like this never happened will they forget about it you know and I didn't know what to do And, and sometimes we don't know what to do we don't know the answer we feel lost we feel confused and we just want to run and that's what Elijah did. And the other thing that Elijah struggled with is that he became severely frustrated. 
He's like, God, I'm jealous for you. And he thinks he's the only one left that's still serving God. What we find out in this context here is that uh, God says, listen, there's still 7,000 people in this, in this uh, area that have not bowed to the false prophets. You're not the only one. It may feel like it, but you're not. But you know what? He felt frustrated. And real men often feel completely alone in the battles of life and experience immense frustration. Man, can I get an amen on this? That some we can just things can just be going along just fine, and just one little thing can happen, and all that frustration just mounts up at once. Can I get an amen, guys? I mean, it happens. It's real. And I, I know I didn't ask for the ladies to say amen because I know y'all never get frustrated. All right, y'all have always got it under control. No, none of us do. None of us have it under control. We all struggle with this. Elijah did as well, and he's so frustrated by this. He's probably thinking to himself, man, we had this incredible mountaintop experience. It should have just brought revival. He's so excited he's out running chariots, you know. But instead what happens is he finds out that the queen is still after him and wants to kill him. It doesn't seem like he did any good whatsoever. So here's Elijah, the poster child for manliness. Also experienced fear, failure, he fled, and experienced great frustration. All right? So, how can we learn from this? We can learn from this by just taking a look at how God fixed Elijah. I purposely skipped over it, but go back to verse 11 in chapter 19, all right? Whenever Elijah gets to this cave, remember, he sits down on the broom tree and says, hey, just kill me. God sends an angel, feeds him, gives him food. He goes back to sleep. He wakes up. He eats. He drinks again. He's got strength enough for 40 days, but instead of going back to the battle, he just goes and runs farther. Goes and hides in a cave. And God's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on? He asked him that twice. And in the midst of that conversation, look at verse 11. Here's what it says, okay? It says, and he said, God says to Elijah, I want you to do something. I want you to go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Go out and stand before me. In other words, God says, get out there and I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're struggling, you're frustrated, you're, fre you're fearful, you feel like a failure, you're frustrated, all those different things, you're, you're, you're fleeing, you're running. Get out there, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And behold, the Lord passed by, and notice what happens, a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. In other words, we know what this is, God sent a tornado. But the Lord, notice this, was not in God sends the, the ultimate of windstorms, a tornado through. And I think Elijah's probably out there and expecting God to just step out of the middle, the midst of that tornado and reveal himself. But what does it say? God was not in the wind. And it says, and after the wind, he sent what? An earthquake. He shakes the very foundation of the earth. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Again, I imagine, imagine Elijah being out there, and, and as the rocks are falling and everything's trembling, who's ever been in an earthquake? Anybody ever been in a serious earthquake? I'm not talking about one of these little tremors around here. I'm talking about a serious earthquake. Anybody ever been in one? Just, just, just a couple of us. I've never been in one, but I've always heard that's one of the most scariest things is when the earth itself is shaking and you don't know what to do. I'm glad we don't have those a lot in Texas, amen, right? But Elijah's out there, and I think, again, he's expecting God to just come out of the midst of all this rumbling and all this shaking. But notice what it says. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, what does he do? He sends a fire, this huge fireball. Before Elijah's calling down fire, now God sends fire. And I'd imagine this fire is there, but it says, and after, it, but he says, but the Lord was not in the fire. And again, I'm thinking Elijah's out there, and there's this big fireball, and wouldn't it be cool if God just stepped out of that fire, you know, and just revealed himself? And I think Elijah's kind of expecting that. But notice that God is not in the the fire. And then finally, what does it say? All right. It says, and after the fire, after the fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. In the old King James Version, it says that there was a still, small voice. I want you to think about this for a moment, all right? God sent the manliest of all natural desires. He sent earthquakes, tornadoes, and fireballs. And if you are a child of the 70s and 80s, here comes your next dad joke. This is where they got their name, Earth, Wind, and Fire. All right, come on, right? Yeah, they got it right here. Earth, Wind, and Fire comes. But God wasn't in any of those, probably because they trans, you know, transferred into disco, and God wants nothing to do with that, all right? That's another dad joke, okay? But anyway, God wasn't in any of those. But instead, God appeared in what? Think about that for a minute. <clears throat> Here's Elijah, mythical hero, okay? Uh, Old Testament Jedi, if you will, superhero in the flesh, experiences all these incredible things. And after all these incredible things take place, doesn't really know what to do. He's still frustrated that this queen is after him and the, and the people haven't turned back to God. He doesn't want to go and he just sits down and says, I'm just willing to die, you know. I want you to think about it. Whispering is not very manly. And you don't see John Wayne whispering to any other ca- in any other cowboy's ear, right? That, just, that wouldn't be cool. Clint Eastwood, he's not whispering in the ears of any of his partners in the Dirty Harry movies. Nah, not doing it. And Captain America sure as heck wasn't whispering in Thor's ear during any of their adventures, right? But that's okay. You know why? <clears throat> John Wayne, by the way, it's not even his name. His name's Marion. Come on, right? John Wayne, Dirty Harry, Captain America, they're not real. They're fictional characters that we love to advocate as pictures of manliness. And you know what? That's part of what's wrong in our world today. We keep telling our kids those are real men when they're not even real themselves. And what God is saying is, I need some real men to step up. I need some real men to stand up. They're not real. God, on the other hand, he is real. (coughs) Elijah was a real man. He was manly, yes, but he also struggled. He had problems. Big time. And here's what God is doing. God fixed Elijah by teaching him that men don't just accomplish massive, mighty, epic deeds. What really exemplifies godly manliness is the ability to follow God in the moments when all we can do is whisper. So listen to me. When we're so weak that all we can do is whisper, What God wants us to do is talk to him. 
In those moments, God doesn't whisper back and say, you ought to be more of a man. You, you ought to do bigger things. You ought to be better than this. No, what he says is, just listen. You whisper, and I'll whisper back. The mythical creature known as the perfect father or a manly man of God is usually pictured as a lion roaring at the world before him. But in reality, real men whisper far more than they roar. And the best way to display true godly manliness is to listen to God close enough that we can hear him even when he whispers. And I think that's what was going on with Elijah. God allowed him to experience some big things. And when the big things were over and there were no more big things, he thought, well, what else is there to do? Now I'm afraid. Now I feel like a failure. Now I've got to run away. Now I'm frustrated. What God was saying is, listen to me, Elijah. I need you in the big moments, but I need you in the tough moments. I need you when you're roaring, but you know what? You're going to whisper a whole lot more than you're going to roar. And by the way, I'm going to whisper a whole lot more than I roar. And I want you so close to me that you can hear me even when I whisper. I want to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet. And I, I'm going to ask you to be a little mobile this morning, okay? If your family is here, if you're, especially if your dad is here or if your mom is here or you're, somebody in your family is here, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something this morning. I want to give you an opportunity, and I, and I want our men to lead the way on this. Find your family, find your children this morning. If you're here alone, feel free to just join a family or during this time pray for your children, your family that's not here. But I want to encourage you to do something. I want our men to lead the way today. I want our men to just take their families, take their kids this morning, if your wife's here, whoever it is, and I want you to do this. Just let the people know in your family, especially if your kids are here, let them know that it's okay to sometimes be afraid. And let them know that sometimes you're afraid. And let them know that it's, it's okay sometimes to, to feel like a failure. Let them know sometimes you feel that way. Let them know that it's okay to want to run, to want to hide. Tell them you feel that way sometimes. But tell them this, when they want to run and hide, tell them they can always come home. They can always come to me. And by the way, if we want our kids to always run to us, what do we have to do when we're in trouble? We have to run to our father. We've got to step through the trouble. Let them know it's okay. It's okay to be frustrated. Let them know that. Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's Word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the Donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.